G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my great privilege to begin this series that we're going to be spending the whole year on in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 today. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open? We're going to read it, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, do please help us as we look at your word to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and to grow in our certainty of the truth about him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, um, I, I like the novels of an author called Dan Silver, and I especially like his series about um, a character called Gabriel Alon. Uh, Gabriel Alon is a, he's a fictional character. He's an Israeli spy, a uh, Jewish guy, married to an Italian girl. Rings a few bells for me. Um, Alon, um, he has all kinds of thrilling adventures, protecting the Jews from their enemies, saving the world, and, and so on. But the author, Dan Silva, he also takes the opportunity in each of his books to, to, to focus on different subjects. Um, so it's not just fiction. He tries to inform people about stuff, about Middle Eastern politics, about the nation, nation of Israel and the history of Israel, about the Iranian nuclear project, about Russian mafia corruption, lots of different subjects. As I say, I, I, I like the books. But the other day, I started to read one of Silver's most recent novels. It's called The Order. Uh, the Order, it's, a, um, it, it, it's, it's a, another thriller about Gabrielle Alon, and it's all about politics in the Vatican, that is, in the Roman Catholic Church. In the story, the, the Pope is assassinated, for reasons I won't explain to you, Gabrielle Alon is called in to come and investigate the assassination of the Pope. And in the course of the investigations, they discover a document, a document that has been kept hidden, kept secret by the Vatican. Uh, this document is the, uh, the written account of Pontius Pilate, the Pontius Pilate's account of what happened with Jesus. Basically, Pilate's account shows that Jesus was executed by the Romans. And the whole story in the New Testament Gospels about how the Jewish leadership were involved, about how they called for Jesus' execution and about their false trial and, and all that kind of... That, that's all a fraud. None of, it, none of it happened. All the stuff, you know, crucify him, crucify him, none of that happened. It was all invented later on by the church so that they could ingratiate themselves with the Romans. Therefore according to this book, The Order, uh, the, the last 2,000 years of Christian anti-Semitism is based on lies. Uh, lies written in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospels that, that haven't been censored by the, the, the Vatican. Now, uh, this is a novel. Dan Silver is having a go at imitating his name, namesake, Dan Brown. Um, th th there is no such thing as the Gospel, according to Pontius Pilate. This document doesn't exist, hidden or not hidden. Uh, as Silver himself writes, the order is, um, he says, the order is a work of entertainment and, and, and should be read as nothing more. But as he often does, in an afterword, Dan Silver explains the facts that he claims are behind his fictional writing. I mean, I'm going to quote from him. Um, and he in turn is quoting uh, from, he's, he's working with what he calls um, scholarly reappraisals of the Gospels. Let me quote. <clears throat> no original draft 
of any of the four canonical gospels survives, only fragments of later copies. It is widely accepted by scholars that none of the gospels, with the possible exception of Luke, were written by the men for whom they are named. The gospels bear evidence of literary tampering, editing, rewriting and interpolation, that is adding stuff in, and backdating of theological concepts. They are riddled with discrepancies, embellishments, made up stories and historical problems that mean they cannot be taken at face value as giving us historically accurate accounts of what really happened. The gospel's depiction of Jesus must be taken with a pound of salt. Numerous critical biblical scholars and contemporary historians have concluded that the evangelists and their editors in the early church consciously shifted the blame for Jesus' death from the Romans to the Jews in order to make Christianity more appealing to Gentiles living under Roman rule and less threatening to the Romans themselves. Now, Christians who believe in biblical inerrancy will no doubt take issue with my description of who the evangelists were and how their gospels came to be written. Most biblical scholars would not. Now, of course, it's not my intention to justify Christian anti-Semitism, but I do wonder about this stuff that Dan Silver claims here. Do Dan Silver and these numerous critical biblical scholars and contemporary historians, do they have it right? Are the Gospels, in fact, untrustworthy? riddled with discrepancies and made-up stories and historical problems that mean they cannot be taken at face value as giving us historically accurate accounts of what really happened? Are they really Christian propaganda rather than attempts to tell what happened, attempts to write history? Does the fact that I believe the Bible, does that make me a biblical inerrantist who is ignoring the established facts of biblical scholarship and modern historical scholarship? It's an important question, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be a Christian. But I don't want to be a Christian if it's not true. If the stories about Jesus are made-up stories, if they cannot be taken at, at face value as giving historically accurate accounts of what really happened, uh, it, it, I don't want to know. I mean, I have staked my life and my eternal destiny on the fact that Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead. Uh, in history, actually. A and the evidence for that, it's in the New Testament, including and especially in the four Gospels. A and if they can't be trusted, if they're not true, well, I am wrong in my understanding of who Jesus is, and I am building my life and eternity on a lie, and my whole job here as pastor of this church is to convince you of a lie. As you may be aware, our denomination recently requested that we conduct a survey in our church. We received 193 responses to the survey, and of those 193 responses, 98.9% .9 of people agreed with this statement. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, 98.9%. Uh, 98.9% of people also agreed with this statement. I believe that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to many witnesses, 98.9%. 98.3% of people agreed with this statement. I trust in Jesus alone as my only hope for eternal life, 98.3%. 
I trust in Jesus alone as my only hope for eternal life. That's nearly all of us, 98, 99%. We believe as historical fact that Jesus lived on this earth, that he did miracles, that he taught about himself, that, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the dead, and we are relying on Jesus alone as our only hope for eternal life. But if Dan Silver and all these biblical scholars and contemporary historians are right, our belief is wrong, and our trust in Jesus is misplaced. Serious stuff, isn't it? As a church, God willing, uh, we are going to spend the whole of this year looking at just one book of the Bible. And it is one of the Gospels, one of the Gospels that Dan Silver is talking about, the Gospel according to Luke. Now, as Dan Silver and many other people point out, the authors of the Gospels don't name themselves. They're not signed, unlike most of the letters in the New Testament. The authors of the Gospel don't identify themselves. But... Um, as even Dan Silver has to admit, the great likelihood is that this gospel was written by the man called Luke. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, we, we find out that, Luke, uh, that, that, that the author of this gospel and of Acts was a close travelling companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you then go back to Paul's letters and, and you follow his travels and, and you match it up with his letters and then you match that up with the gospel, you, you'll see that Luke is by far the most likely to be the, uh, Paul's travelling companion who wrote the gospel and Acts. And in the early church, everybody, everybody um, thought that this was true. It was unanimously accepted that Luke is in fact the author of this gospel. Okay. All right, well, let, let, let's, let's dive in and take a look. Uh, Luke starts off by telling his readers how the Christian message has been passed down to him, how he received it, and, and uh, uh, he, Luke, Luke he, he wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus himself, but he tells us he got the message from the original eyewitnesses. Uh, Luke calls them eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Uh, the, the people who were with Jesus, the people who saw him themselves, people like Matthew and Peter and John, they, they were eyewitnesses and then they went on to serve the word. That is, having spent time with Jesus, seeing him live, seeing him die, seeing him rise again from the dead, they went on to give their whole lives to telling everyone what they'd seen and heard about Jesus. Those eyewitnesses, Luke tells us, they handed down the message to the next generation in writing, such as we see in the letters of Peter and John and James and so on. Also the letters of Paul, although he was a different kind of a witness. Uh, the original eyewitnesses, they, uh, they put in writing what they'd seen and they also talked about it to, to anyone who would listen. They spent their lives telling people about Jesus. They, they, they handed the message down. Now, as that original generation of eyewitnesses and servants of the word, as they got older... People wanted to preserve their teaching so, so that it wouldn't be lost or forgotten or distorted. And so they then um, received the message and, and, and went on themselves to try to speak and write faithfully about Jesus. A great example of this would be the book of Hebrews. It's an example of someone who wasn't an original eyewitness. He was one of the people who received the message from the eyewitnesses and was trying to, to keep it going faithfully without change. 
Okay, you get the order of what happened. The original eyewitnesses told everyone about Jesus. A few years later, um, some people wanted to preserve the message, and so many of them drew up accounts. They, 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 try, they tried to put the message about Jesus in writing. Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. The eyewitnesses handed to us and many eyewitnesses and this next generation are trying to draw up an account of it. Other people had to go at preserving the original message about Jesus. And, and Luke himself, he tells us that, that he was in a very, um, he was in an excellent position to do something similar. Around about 49 AD, that's, that's about 15 or 16 years after Jesus died and rose again, Luke, um, he joined up with the Apostle Paul. He travelled with Paul on his missionary journeys. Pretty much straight away, it seems, Luke started recording his journeys. And he started talking to people that he met, interviewing them, if you like. Uh, he started talking to people who'd been involved with the Christian movement from the beginning. People like, I think you'll find from the, from the Gospel, you'll find that he talked to people like Mary, uh, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John. Luke... Um, Luke met these people on his journeys with Paul and, it seems, he, he took notes. Luke puts it this way. He says, he says that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He checked out the sources. He interviewed the eyewitnesses. Uh, this happened over a period of about 10 years Luke, as he travelled with Paul, he gathered together his information. Well, now, it's around the year 62 AD. Now, Paul is in jail in Rome. Luke is with him. There's no opportunity for Paul or for Luke to, to travel around. They've got time on their hands. A wealthy man called Theophilus has been supporting Luke and the team that is providing for their needs while they're under house arrest in Rome. And well, it seemed like a good idea for Luke to start putting all his material together, to, to, to put it together in an orderly way, to, to tell the story of Jesus from, from start to finish, to give um, originally to Theophilus himself, verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke's going to put all his research and all his investigation together in an orderly way, write it out from start to finish in order. And why? Well, he says because he wants Theophilus and, and anyone else who reads this gospel, he wants them to be certain about it. He wants Theophilus to know for sure that the message he's heard about Jesus is true. Still in verse 3. I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay. All right. Um, that, that's, that's as far as we're going today. It's just a very short passage, isn't it? But this is, this is a very, very important passage. Can, can you see what's here? There were eyewitnesses 
of what happened with Jesus, who became servants of the word. They, they gave their lives to speaking and teaching about Jesus. This, this is, this is the, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, uh, Matthew, and, and so on. Uh, a number of people, including them, had, had a go at drawing up accounts of the message, including the next generation, people like the writer of Hebrews. They had a, a, a go at drawing up accounts of what had happened with Jesus. Uh, Luke himself, he, he says he's in a very good position to do the same thing. He's carefully investigated the facts. He's quizzed the eyewitnesses. He's taken notes. And so now Luke has decided that he's going to have a go at writing it all down in order. He's going to tell the story of Jesus from beginning to end. And why? Because he wants his readers to know it's true. He wants us to be certain that it really happened. He wants us to know for sure that our faith in Jesus is built on solid ground. So friends, um, that's, that's our application of the passage today. That's how we need to apply this passage and, and it, it's how we need to apply the whole book of Luke to ourselves. Now, today and, and for the whole of this year, Luke, he wants us to be certain Certain that the message about Jesus is true. Certain that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Friends, my great hope and prayer is that by the end of this year, you and I will be more sure about Jesus. That's our goal. At the end of this year, at the end of studying the Gospel of Luke, we want to be more sure about Jesus. As we think about this particular passage today, I reckon there are three questions for us to ask. Three questions to help us be, be certain, to be certain about Jesus. Now, question one. As we look at this little section, we, are, we can ask ourselves this question. Was Luke in a position to tell the truth about Jesus? Now, question two. Was Luke trying to tell the truth about Jesus? And question three, is there any, anything here, any reason to suggest that Luke was lying? Did you get the questions? Was Luke in a position to be able to tell us the truth about Jesus? Was that his intention? Was he trying to tell us the truth about Jesus? And is there any reason why we should suspect that he was lying? Let's think about each question in turn. Uh, first question, first question, was Luke in a position to tell the truth about Jesus? Did he, have, did he have access to reliable information? Well, as we've seen here in these couple of verses today, Luke wasn't himself an eyewitness to Jesus. I mean, he wasn't like John or, or, or James, who, whose letters we looked at last year. Luke wasn't a direct eyewitness. But Luke claims here that he had access to the eyewitnesses. Verse 2 there, he claims that uh, the eyewitnesses handed down the facts to us, to us, in including him. Now, I should say that there are some people, some critical biblical scholars, who, who, who try to argue that Luke was written much later. Um, like 100 years or 200 years after Jesus or something like that. Perhaps not 200, maybe 100 years after Jesus. Um, but, but the reality is that their argument cannot stand. Uh, first, you can already, by 90 AD, find other authors who, who quote from Luke's gospel. So it's already in wide circulation by then because people are quoting from it. 
Um, and second, and I think this is really, really critical, that there, there are two things that Luke doesn't talk about, which I think reveal when the book was finished. Two things that Luke doesn't talk about. Uh, first, Luke does not mention the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. That was an enormously significant event in the history of Judaism. It happened in 70 AD. And Luke actually talks about how Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed. And 100%, if it had actually happened by the time Luke had written, he would have talked about it because it would have proved what Jesus said. But Luke never mentions it. Second, the book of Acts finishes in, in, a, in a very weird way. It finishes just with Paul in jail in Rome, and then it just stops. There's a weird place to finish. Surely uh, Luke would have gone on, you know, to talk about Paul's great martyrdom for the cause. Oh, that happened in around about 63 AD. But, but again, Luke doesn't mention any of that stuff. The only sensible reason why he would finish the book of Acts where he does and, and leave out all the other interesting stuff that came after is because that's, that's, that's the time it was when he finished writing. That's, that's where he was. Um, commentator Daryl Bock, Daryl Bock puts it like this. He says, he says that uh, Luke left the end of Paul's career open-ended because that is where matters stood when he wrote. That is where matters stood when he wrote. So let me try to lay out the picture for you. Uh, 49 AD, just about 15 or so years after Jesus lived and died and rose again. 49 AD, Luke is probably converted and he joins up with Paul, telling everyone about Jesus. He spends about 15 years travelling with Paul, meeting with the original eyewitnesses, investigating carefully. And then before 63 AD, that is, Less than 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Luke has finished his account. Look, it's definitely early. And, and, and if it hadn't been true what Luke wrote, there were plenty of people around who could have debunked it. Many of the original eyewitnesses would still have been alive. But no one did. Instead, very quickly, the gospel was accepted as a faithful and true account of what happened. And as I say, within a few years, people were, were quoting it as scripture. Was Luke in a position to know the truth? Absolutely. He was in an excellent position to know the truth. That leads us to our second question. Was Luke trying to tell the truth? Or was he trying to give propaganda or myths and fairy stories and interpolations and, and all the other stuff, embellishments that Dan Silver talks about. Was Luke trying to tell the truth? Well, he's told us that's the whole purpose of his book, hasn't he? That, that's just what we've seen right here today. Luke's purpose, he says, is to convince his reader, Theophilus, his readers, us, to convince us of the certainty of the message about Jesus. And we're talking about historical truth here. The very next chapter, uh, very next verse, sorry, chapter 1 and verse 5, Luke sets the story into history. Just cast your eyes down to verse 5. Uh, he talks about how this happened in the time of Herod, king of Judah. He puts, gives a historical reference. Or, or jump forward with me to chapter 2. Jump forward to chapter 2. You'll see it again. Full of historical references, not to mention geographical references. He, Luke clearly wants to locate this for us in history on this earth. Uh, it's surely the way he wants us to read it. Have a look, chapter 2 and verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus 
issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. It's, it's, it's history, it's geography, it's, it's, not, it's not fairy stories. Uh, yes, the gospel contains moral truths. Yes, Luke contains songs. Yes, Luke contains jokes and, and hyperbole and, and, and parables. Not all of Luke is meant, it's not in, all intended to be strictly woodenly historical. For example, I, I don't believe there's such a person as the prodigal son. It's a parable, it's a story. But, but, but fundamentally, as you read Luke's gospel, what you are dealing with, as he, as he tells us about who Jesus is and what he did and what he, sought, saw, what he taught, Luke is telling us it happened. It happened in history, in real life. He is trying to write a true account so that we can be certain that what happened with Jesus actually happened. Last question. Any, any reason to suggest that Luke was lying? Did Luke have something to gain by, by tricking us into believing something that he knew was untrue? Was there some reason why he would want to propagandise us? First thing to say is this. Uh, Luke portrays Jesus as being very critical of liars. So, for example, Luke chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus is asked, uh, what do people need to do to have eternal life? And he says, he quotes from God's law, he says, you know the commandments, and one of them, you shall not give false testimony. Uh, Luke also portrays Jesus as being really critical of people who use religion to further their own agendas, to, to benefit themselves. Jesus, for example, he criticizes the teachers of the law. Um, chapter 20, for example, he, he criticizes them for using their religion to gain status and to gain wealth. Jesus, the Jesus that Luke portrays demands truth and he demands integrity. Look, it would be just radically, I think, unbelievably hypocritical if Luke does that, portrays this Jesus who demands truth and integrity, if Luke does that by telling us an untrue story about Jesus. But more than that, more than that. If you look at the life Luke lived, and we get plenty of insights in the book of Acts, if you look at the life, life Luke lived, you can see he had nothing to gain from telling people about Jesus. Uh, we find out in one of Paul's letters that Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He, he had a profession. It's not like he had nothing else to do. He, he had a profession with the respect and the money that comes with it. But Luke gave that up to become a Christian and to spend his life traveling with Paul, telling people about Jesus. And it wasn't easy. Luke endured all kinds of hardship. He faced danger. He faced persecution. He was, he was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. I mean, even as he put this gospel together, as he put all these sources together into this orderly account, he was um, there with Paul under house arrest in Rome. Paul himself went on to be killed, killed for telling people about Jesus. And there is even tradition that Luke... Luke himself was martyred by being hung from an olive tree. Luke didn't get fame by telling this story about Jesus. Not immediately, anyway. Luke didn't get money by telling this story about Jesus. Luke suffered for telling people about Jesus. And there is no evidence anywhere that Luke recanted. 
there are plenty of early writers uh, who, who oppose Christianity, but none of them claim that under pressure, you know, as he was being hung from that olive tree or something, that Luke changed his story. Friends, there is nothing to suggest that Luke was lying. There is nothing to suggest that this gospel is propaganda to, to promote anti-Semitism or anything else. All the evidence, all the evidence points this way. Luke himself was certain that the message about Jesus is true. That's why he gave up so much. That's why he was willing to suffer, because he himself was certain that the message about Jesus is true. Okay, friends, here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. Uh, Luke is telling the truth. Luke is telling the truth about Jesus. So, friends, uh, we can and we should be, and I hope increasingly we will be this year, we can, we should be certain about Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness in giving Jesus in real life for us. Thank you that he lived and that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again from the dead. Thank you that this message has been faithfully passed down from the eyewitnesses and servants of the word to people like Luke who gave accurate and orderly accounts. Help us by your spirit to know and to believe that Jesus is real and help us to trust in him. We pray, Heavenly Father, that through Jesus we may have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, Jesus is real. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again from the dead in history. Luke and the other writers of the New Testament, they were telling the truth. So do you know what, friends? We can be certain. Now, here in the Lord's Supper, what, what we're going to do, we're going to remember and celebrate and rely on the true death of Jesus. The Bible says that when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming to God and to anybody else that Jesus' death is for you. You are trusting Jesus as your King and Saviour. Friends, I reckon it's a great way to respond to God's word today. Is that how you want to respond to God today? Do you want to say to him and, and, and to us, yes, I'm sure about it. I, I proclaim here and now, Jesus is my King my saviour, I'm relying on him. Now, friend, if that's not true for you right now, can I say it's great you're in Zoom church with us. We love that you're here. We want you to be here. We want you to learn about what Jesus has done for you. But if you're not relying on Jesus just at this point, please, can I encourage you, don't symbolise that you are by eating and drinking. Just watch on, but, but do, do take the opportunity to think through this for yourself What's stopping you from trusting in Jesus? Why aren't you trusting in Jesus? The, the message you've seen today, it is true. You can be sure that Jesus is who the New Testament claims he is. I encourage you, friends, it's true, it's trustworthy, believe it. But friends, if you are depending on Jesus, please feel most welcome to eat and drink with us now. And as we do, let's remember and proclaim the great news, the true news. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for us. 
Thanks that we can be sure of the truth about him and certain that through Jesus we are forgiven and accepted by you. Please help us as we eat and drink now to be encouraged all the more to trust in Jesus as our Saviour and King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks to God, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after that last supper, Jesus, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it to remember me. Let's drink together. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving Jesus to die for us. Thanks that he's done everything we need so we can be pardoned and cleansed and made your people forever. Thanks for the opportunity to proclaim Jesus through the Lord's Supper. Father, please help us to proclaim Jesus, not just, not just here, but in every part of our lives. Help us to trust him. Help us to obey Jesus. Help us to tell other people about Jesus. Help us to persevere in faith to the very end. We ask you these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.